0: Hello and welcome to episode 93 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, June twenty third, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney?
1: Not too bad. I love that you have fog over here.
0: Oh, do you not have fog?
1: No, it's hot at our house.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's going away. Yesterday was beautiful it was 93 in san francisco on wednesday which we no
1: (laughs) i i was telling somebody that i make it my occupation to complain about the heat in san francisco because when you move to san francisco you do not sign up for heat
0: no oh i guess it was tuesday night but yeah it was not pleasant and nobody has air conditioning and it was just we
1: don't we don't know what to do yeah it's foreign. Yeah. But thankfully, over here at Monica's, there's a nice marine layer. I have a little sweater on. I'm happy.
0: <laughs> yes, we are back to normal. It's very good. And uh, yeah, the the podcast segments will all be normal on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand, and bingo because it is well, it is officially summer now. was that and it was that was the first day of summer. We was, had our little the solstice was heat. the scorcher. Yeah, that was weird. All right, on the needles. Lots of fun knitting. Oh my gosh, I'm still super excited about my knitting. So I have finished a couple of things. I finished Simon's socks finally. Those are the OMG Heel socks by Megan Williams in the Knit Picks Felici Fingering in the Bayou colorway, which is a couple different shades of blue and green and then a wider stripe of black or very, very, very dark charcoal. And they turned out, you know, they're socks, they turned out, but I did one. So this pattern is written for toe up or cuff down. And I usually do it toe up for Simon so that I can make sure I have enough yarn for all of the foot. And then I can just take the leg as far as it can go or as far as I want it to. And I think I talked about this last time and I did end up doing this. I knit the first one toe up as I normally do and then decided to cast on the second one and do it my preferred direction of cuff down because I had all the stripes so I knew how long everything had to be and I thought it'd be fun to try out doing the heel in the opposite direction and it was all very simple and easy and I think it worked. He hasn't been home for to try them on. He tried the first one on because I was worried that it was too big because they always look giant but I guess he just has giant feet. <laughs> so, so he tried that one on and it fit so I made the second one the same size so I assume it will fit as well. And that was very delightful to be done with those. Super. We love a finished project. It's very nice. And especially the socks, because those are my on the go project. So I don't have them where I can work on them all the time. It's usually in my purse for, you know, waiting for a kid or a doctor at the symphony or something. So they live in my life for a lot longer than they I actually spend knitting them. Like if I was just knitting these, they'd be done in a week something, you know, a weekend, really, if I just did nothing but knit them. I, at some point, I get tired of looking at them, even though they are very, very pretty colors. And he was excited about them. And he thought they were a a new, exciting color way for him, which I was like, it's blue and green. Don't I usually do blue and green? But he thought it was different and exciting. So I think that's good. Awesome. Yeah. So that was fun. And then I also finished my Helix Cowl by Andrea Rangel. Finally, that has been on the needle since November, I think. And this was using the Knit Circus yarn, Greatest of Ease, which is a fingering weight in Quoth the Raven, which is black. I mean, (laughs) that's great. what else is it going to be? And Impressionist Best Friend, which is a speckled gradient that starts with this bright blue and goes through kind of light blue and some yellow and then into a pink and then ends up in this bright magenta. I finally finished it. I made it extra long. I had to stop two rows before the end of the final repeat because I ran out of the gradient. (sighs) But it's okay because you, I mean, it's at the back of the cowl. You graft the two ends together. So the blue and the pink meet, which, you know, was a little bit annoying, but it was fine. No one's going to be looking at the back of my neck, really, I don't think. And so if you really look, you can see that I did not finish the pattern, but it'll be okay. So that was exciting and it looks it looks beautiful. It looks exactly like I wanted it to look. It kind of looks like a stained glass. It's a really pretty, I guess helix pattern. I don't I, kind of flower like outlines of the flowers and the background is the the colors that change. And I love the blue and I love the pink and I love the colors in the middle and I'm just really pleased. It's not really cowl wearing weather. So I'm not sure when I will get around to wearing it. But I am looking forward to doing that at some point.
1: I'm looking forward to it being cowl weather. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you have a ways to go.
1: Well, I don't know. July gets pretty chilly here.
0: That's true. But sometimes, oh yeah, and I guess if you're going out at night, especially in July, especially in my neighborhood, when the fog yeah. is-, is whipping and you can see it barreling down the streets yeah that's true i think we need to fold like a meteorology
1: segment into our podcast just because (laughs) i'm certainly affected by the weather yes it's boring i'm sure but (laughs) it matters
0: people it does it does it's true what else are you knitting i have two new projects as well which is pretty (gasps) We love a new project (laughs) all projects are good for sure. But it's exciting to have new ones. Tell me everything. Yes. So I have I have a hat um, that I have started because I won a prize for the Gnome Knit Along, which is very exciting. And the prize was um, a gift certificate to Leading Men Fiber Arts. And they are a dyer that I have wanted to try for a while. So I I won a Chatter Prize for posting on Instagram with my gnome and won this gift certificate. And I was very excited. So I picked out a skein of Polworth DK, which I think is a Merino and Polworth blend. When you said Polworth, I thought Poldark like that. Oh, (laughs) that would be nice too. (laughs) That would be good. That works, right? Yep. But the colorway is Tainted Love. And as a 80s child, I love that. Classic. i had to buy it my kid likes that song too my kid which loves is hilarious old, old 80s 70s and 80s it's great yep so anyway so it's this burgundy deep red cranberry you know all the all the reds that i love a little bit tonal it's not just one color but it's it's pretty much one color so the pattern is the pentrose ring hat by knit and it's knit and DK. it's a scientific kind of shape like a snowflake kind of thing but it's rings on the top of the hat for the decreases which I thought was pretty cool the body of the hat I think is kind of ribbed and stockinette combo so it should be easy for a while and then I'll get to some fun stuff at the end and I think it will look nice in this colorway and I wanted a kind of quick knit for the splash pad party hosted by Boston Jen and the Downseller studio so it will get lots of points for for this as well very exciting does this hat have a pom-pom or it just features that helix? No, because it's or... a really, it's a hu- it's a very intense design on the top. And if oh, you put cool. a pom-pom, you would not Use be it. able to see it. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. I've only just started the ribbing, so I haven't gotten very far and I've been involved in, in other things, but I plan to pick it back up soon. And this, the yarn is very nice to work with, so I'm enjoying that as well but my big new project is my rainbow sweater by Yelly LD and the rainbow is spelled r e i g n b e a u x but it does feature a you know typical a rainbow conventional conventional rainbow, and
1: yeah. this you picked up at stitch I did
0: so i'm using stitches some of my purple yarn it's a mermaid gradient the yarn is from teal torch knits and it's their dk weight and i'm pretty sure it was the yarn used in the sample sweater, the pattern sweater. So it should be the right weight yarn. And so I got this mermaid gradient, which goes from a light icy green to a deep dark purple through a bunch of shades of greens and blues, which you may have realized is one of my favorite color sets. And then the main body of the sweater is the colorway Hallowed Ground 2.0 and it's a kind of a medium gray. It's looking so beautiful. This is such a great pattern. It's super fun. It's really well-written. There is a lot of math involved in this sweater, but she gives you charts and actually links to a spreadsheet so you can plug in your numbers if you don't want to do the really quite simple math by hand. Um, but so you can... Speak it's, for yourself. <laughs> it is really. It's like two, multiply two numbers, subtract something. It's not... It's Okay. It's... I promise. There's no kind of algebra involved, which was good. So you have to do some of the math. So there's no... Specific sizing. It's based on your measurements and to some extent your gauge and then the way the sweater is designed, which is an unconventional construction, super fun. So, the first thing you do is knit the rainbow shape and that becomes kind of the right side of the sweater and around to your middle and the middle of your back. It's from hip to haunch, the rainbow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then you build the sweater around that. And you knit the sleeves, and then I think we're going to attach the sleeves. I haven't I haven't gotten that far yet, and do some sort of yoke business. Um, so I'm not sure what kind of sleeve it is. I remember it very fondly because
1: you had – it caught your eye for sure, and then I think you were thinking about it a lot for like a day.
0: Yes. Well, I had seen the pattern before oh, when it okay. came out, so I was aware of it, and that was one of the yarn yarns that I was – definitely searching for when we went to Stitches. I knew I wanted to try and find some sort of mini skein set to use for this sweater. And there aren't as many DK weight mini skein options. And you can use up to 12 colors. The original pattern was written for 12. She gives you the the formula for figuring out how to use six colors or, you know, however many colors. And you can have your stripes be different widths. They don't all have to be the same. She gives you the tools to play with this In many different ways. The sample has one of the sleeves knit. You knit stripes of the colors as well, and you can do stripes on both of the sleeves. I guess you could do no stripes at all, but that seems less fun. (laughs) Mine is much more subdued, I think, than a lot of people's, but I'm very excited about it. And last night I finished connecting all of the main color to the rainbow. So now I'm kind of on the boring part, but then I'm going to get to attaching the sleeves and the yoke and that is kind of fun as well. So there's very little boring random knitting because it's a totally new method of construction. Yes and you can see how your your main color is inching up the rainbow. You a little bit have to pay attention to your rate of increases as you're adding stitches. So there's a lot of fun stuff but nothing complicated. So I've really been enjoying it. Done both sleeves. I am at least halfway done with the body. I need to try, I need to measure it first of all, and then try it on and see where it is. And there's a little room for fudging because the, I think the last thing you do is knit the, the hem. So if I need to add a little bit more, I could do that as well. Very exciting. I think it's going to be super comfy, cozy, totally different looking from anything else that I have and just fantastic colors. I'm I, just looking at the rainbow and the stripes on the sweater. I'm The yarn dyer did just such a great job of the the colors that it just makes me so happy. I can't wait to see it. I'll have to show you when we go back upstairs. Yes, please. It's really beautiful. And that's all my knitting. How about your knitting? Okay, people. I
1: started, well, first of all, I finished the short rows.
0: That's so awesome. Which. Isn't it amazing what happens when you actually knit on something?
1: Yes, it is. Smarty pants.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, because I was learning that lesson last time. Oh,
1: okay. The short rows were, were kind of boring, I think, is, was the problem. And now I have the opposite problem because I'm working on the brioche section and it is not boring. It is terrifying. Interesting. <laughs> yes. So this is shawlography, for those of you who've been playing along, which is a Stephen West shawl. And he has accompanying YouTube video tutorials, which are excellent and joyful, yes. if I may.
0: His always are very good.
1: Very, very good. It is exactly how I like to learn a new technique. He describes it. You can watch him do the stitches while he's describing it. And then he describes it again and again. So it sort of becomes a mantra in your head for keeping on, keeping on for 400 stitches.
0: That's a lot of brioche.
1: It is a lot of brioche, but it's only for like... um maybe like a two inch stripe all the way along. I'm just getting to the part where you can see that it's brioche mm. you know how it takes like a couple yeah. a couple back and forths you can't call them rows because it's really one back and one fourth is one row. yes I think I'm only on four like so that would be two rows two two
0: I don't know yeah whatever. it takes a while for it not to look like a total mess.
1: It looks kind of like a total
0: mess because, and then it suddenly doesn't, and it's yeah amazing.
1: I'm hoping so because I would hate to take this out because it was hard. It was hard to learn a new thing.
0: Did you put a lifeline in?
1: No, but taking it out and putting it back on won't isn't a big deal just because of the construction of the. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm stuck in three ways. One, it doesn't quite look like brioche yet, although I think it's right.
0: And it's two-color brioche. It's two-color
1: okay. brioche. That's easier. Sort of, except that my yarns are slightly different weights. I mean, they say that they're the same weight, but they're clearly not. So one is a little bit thicker than the other. Mm-hmm. And I the thicker one is the is the secondary yarn. So it's the back. It's the wrong side yarn. So in a way, visually, it's being pushed back,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is good because the front facing yarn is a mm-hmm. little bit thinner. Yeah, I think I'm just going to leave it for a little while. I thought, oh, this is not going to work because when I look at pictures of brioche, beautiful pictures of professional brioche, it looks so wonderful, like herringbone almost. And, you know, mm-hmm. just that. Maybe it'll lay down and behave once it's blocked.
0: I think well, I had that issue with my newspaper pullover because yeah. the yarns were a little bit different. And you can tell. And if you want to look at that, because though that when you switched, which was your dominant, so you can see oh. what it looks like with both with the the thinner yarn in front and the thinner yeah, yarn in the let's, back. Let, let me to- peek at that.
1: And then I just discovered that I have a little mistake right on the Not on the edge edge, but like maybe four stitches in, which isn't really in the brioche pattern yet. It's in the transition from the I-cord edge. There's maybe like a purl stitch that I missed and I have to fiddle it up or something. I don't know. I'm not good at figuring out mistakes. I do Mm -hmm. not want to rip this back for this. It's not going to compromise the integrity of the knitting, I don't think. But anyway, I got to fudge it and fix it now, basically. There is another mistake on the other side that I managed to conceal with my tail, my thread tail. Nice. I don't, I think I missed a stitch on the I-cord or I slipped one and I just grabbed it and sort of wove it in with the, and that, that's how we roll, people. That's how totally I roll. Totally <laughs> illegitimate. I'm really ready to find another knitting project though, because I'm ready for a different like I want to be able to keep knitting but not this you know do you ever get sick of knitting the same thing I
0: have usually four or five projects <laughs> yeah. going at a time so I feel like the answer is probably yes yeah
1: yeah I just can't decide on what I
0: I don't know you have all those sweaters you were thinking of or maybe that another shawl really
1: intimidating mm. do
0: sweaters. you want something more easy
1: no, I definitely want something hard.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Well then,
1: The the sweater thing, the challenge is fit. It's the same problem with sewing is just mm. fit. Yeah. So I think I need to be willing to rip it out and make it right. Yes. So that's the shawlography update is that I am working away at it. On the easel... I had a deadline for myself, a self-imposed one this week, to figure out the 2023 calendar. Wow. Yeah. I feel like if I could figure that out. Oh,
0: and then that would be a bingo square. uh
1: Uh-huh. Exactly. (laughs) I don't want to be doing this in November, October, November, which every year I end up doing that. But it would be lovely to figure it out now. And I really think that I have an idea Cool. And even if it's just
0: percolating, that puts you that much farther ahead. Yeah, that's but, a little, like it may make it easier if you don't have to figure it out and then yeah. make it happen. My idea
1: at the moment is sort of maximalist, and I have been doing simpler. Nah, they're not really that simple. No, I don't know.
0: We can we can call them simple though. So my calendar idea
1: for this year is uncomposed still lifes. I don't want to set a scene and then just paint that one static scene. I think I want to layer things in independent of each other and see what happens. I'm not sure what that's going to look like. So everyone would be different and probably themed a little bit for season because I do like to do that. And I love telling the story behind the calendar. So I don't know how that will work in... But for example, I was in a thrift store and I took a whole bunch of random photos of different things. Mm. They were not sitting together, but in my brain, I would like to compose them together in a still life. Something along those lines. Got it. Sounds awesome. I figured out my pigeon art for the pigeon show. Yay. Thanks to Daria. She kind of helped me. I I was stressing out about this all I really needed to do was paint a pigeon. (laughs) However, there was this one pigeon that I was obsessed with and I kept going back to. And I wanted to make it more meaningful in my brain. So I cannot wait to unveil this. It's kind of a Dutch (laughs) theme. There are these incredible Dutch pigeons, like capuchin pigeons, and they have this ruffle of feathers proper society lady headed to the opera with like a fur cu- I don't know it's just this pigeon has so much attitude and I <laughs> loved drawing it and I'm really loving painting it and I am going I'm going Dutch excellent okay stay tuned for that and then more birds more birds nice. I just loving the bird watchers working on that little series, which I don't know what it'll become. But yeah,
0: that's what's been on the easel. Sounds good. Okay, on the table. So first, last time you talked about the citrus pie bars, and I was very inspired. So I got out my copy of 100 Cookies, flipped to the recipe, and they had variations, one of which was the Orange Dreamsicle Bar, which just sounded delightful. So instead of lemon or lime, you use orange and add a bunch of vanilla to it. Long story short, completely tasted like an orange dreamsicle. It was a struggle to get there, I will say. <laughs> there okay. were some problems. There was a great deal of texting going on. And I, I did have another thought. So you do the crust, the crust was fine. And then you make the, the curd sort of filling business. I didn't have orange zest, so that might have muted the oh, sharpness you, of it. Did you just use orange juice? I a- did, but it was like, it wasn't regular orange juice. It was, you know, the fresh squeeze, little yeah. tiny bottles. So because I was feeling lazy and I didn't follow the instructions. So then I didn't know I would need, because yeah. you do need a decent amount of the juice. But everything else was the same. So then I started to bake it and you don't have to bake it for very long. Mine would not set. The curd would not send. I'm texting Courtney. It has been in there forever. What is going on? I finally did at three in the morning think maybe it was because it was an eight by eight and not a nine by nine pan. But other than that, I could not figure it out. So I had a panic attack because
1: I had advocated for double the curd, double the the citrus filling. Yes. Because my kids were like more, more cowbell, (laughs) you know. And so I thought, oh, no, I've told Monica it needs double and now it won't set up for her. And I didn't consider that. And (laughs) yeah, no, so
0: that was not the problem. I did not double it. I decided the first time around I was just going to see how it was. That's smart. We're very fond of creamy topping. So I thought that would, you know, that would bother us less. Yeah. So I thought the filling amount was good. As I said, it was not as sharp as I would have liked it. And I think part of that is the orange dreamsacleness. Like, well, A, I didn't have the orange zest in there. And you add a bunch of vanilla. dreamsicles are very, it's very sweet and not really a sharp flavor, in my opinion. So I might have to rethink that delightfulness. But my kids loved it. That topping is delicious. Isn't it? Yeah. I would maybe... You can back off the sugar a little bit, but I
1: dare yeah. say that when you go hard citrus like lemons limes grapefruits
0: yeah then it'll be fine then it is, that's true oranges are sweeter anyway
1: though my like I said my kids wanted more citrus and a little bit less whipped topping
0: yeah I think it could have used less whipped topping that would have been fine it was a lot of whipped topping my kids were fine with that they were they were perfectly happy with it I do think my filling got a little bit overcooked but it was it it wasn't setting and I don't know don't know what happened with that, but it turned out fine. It just wasn't that like a, a really key lime pie that creaminess. Yeah, it wasn't quite there. So I don't know, but it was it was a delightful flavor. It exactly was an was a dreamsicle flavor. So in that way, it was a total success. And I mean, it lasted a hot second in my house. So <laughs> they were gone. I think we had a few bites for breakfast the next morning, but overall, they went very quickly. So that was fun. And then I was flipping through and I haven't made any of the other bars from that section, but definitely thinking about some of them. That'll be a good project for later in the year. And then I'm not going to talk about this too much because it will fold into our review of Lucas Volger's Snacks for Dinner book. But I did want to mention that I was able to make the feta tart from his recipes and I did it with a gluten-free pie crust. So I get to count that for my personal goals for the year. That is two gluten-free pie crusts. So I'm very excited about that. And it was quite tasty. And it was a, it, so it was a nice, it's like a cooked base. How to explain it? You cook the butter and some the, other stuff. The so, crust or the? The crust, yeah. Okay. You, I think brown, you're basically browning the butter and then you add the, you stir the flour in and press it just into the, press it into your tart pan. It's very strange. He says it works great. What is that
1: crust called in the Great British Baking Show that they use? It's a strong crust that they use for those... Oh, those... the hot water? Yeah. Is it like that, maybe?
0: Maybe. Mm. But it wasn't... I don't think you could have built it up. It's not... It's... um Not strong. I don't think so. I mean, mine was in a tart pan, so it wasn't very heavy. I think it's more buttery than flaky, necessarily, because you're not... You don't roll it out. You... Plop Pre- it in the pan press and press it, it in. Yeah, so so like very more easy. like
1: graham cracker but flour.
0: Yes. Mm. So that was really fun, and I just have to do it one more time. So I'm kind of excited about that. And then I did a sweet and sour stir fry. This is from a recipe book that I've had for a bajillion years called How to Cook Without a Book. Do I ever actually just cook without the book? Very, very rarely. My my usual stir fry sauce is from there and that one I know by by heart. But the sweet and sour version I do not. I forget why I wanted to do this. I think I had a bunch of vegetables and I just wanted to do some, a different stir fry. Usually like my end of the week, I don't know what I'm doing, I can't think anymore. Default is tofu and vegetables stir fry. But I wanted to do something different and I think I didn't have any tofu. So I decided to do sweet and sour because often it's not great. But sometimes it is actually really good. So I had a bunch of green beans and snap peas and a random can of pineapple. <laughs> so I threw all that in there. It sounds kind of weird. I might have had some mushrooms as well. And then this sweet and sour sauce, which wasn't too sweet. It wasn't too sour. It was a very nice combo. I was slightly worried about putting the pineapple in there because that could have gone really wrong, but it seemed to work. And my kids were kind of excited about it. You know, they're happy with a stir fry, but they were... They were pleased and, and kind of excited with the newness. So revisiting old favorites and and seeing if you can make them, I don't know if it was necessarily more modern, but at least modern appreciation there. I think that the canned pineapple is a
1: secret trick because I there was a, like a turkey taco recipe from Half-Baked Harvest that had canned pineapple in it that was mm. awesome Interesting. I talked about it a couple yeah. episodes ago but yeah it can be a real a real crowd pleaser like bring the whole thing together yeah it's such good flavor
0: yeah so that was super fun and I was by myself so there actually was not terribly much cooking I did cook my beets and I made oh I made the beet and strawberry salad from weekday vegetarians which I've been wanting to make since we got that book, but nobody in my house will eat beets. And it was amazing. You put feta on it and uh, throw white beans in there and lots of lovely lettuce and then, you know, a nice dressing. And it was divine. I did not take a picture because they clearly did a lot of food editing in that photo. Once you throw the beets in there, all your your beans turn pink and it was not the most attractive thing to see, but it was delicious. The combination was spectacular. And then, I don't remember what else. I I did order quite a lot because I felt like it was a vacation for me too. So, Understandable. Yeah. And that has what's been on the table. How about you? I only have a few to share because
1: I'm saving a lot of my chatting for snacks for dinner, but I want to tell you about a make-ahead lasagna that I put together. We had a family gathering last weekend. It was cold, so I made lasagna. And I also wanted something that would be really easy to prep ahead and then just kind of throw in the oven. So I found a good make-ahead lasagna that didn't require – or that you could just use a regular noodle because I don't like those no-bake noodles uh, so yeah. much. So I just forged ahead with the regular noodle, and, and I think the trick is making sure that there's enough sauce and ricotta and then letting it sit in the refrigerator overnight. It was perfect. It wasn't it wasn't soupy and it wasn't dry. But my plan was to make a meat lasagna and a vegetable lasagna. Not that we had any vegetarians. I just wanted to have a healthier option, mostly for myself.
0: And even kind of lighter. Sometimes if you have all the lasagna stuff plus sausage or whatever, it's just it's heavy. It's a lot.
1: Yeah. So I made up this vegetable lasagna. It it was just a filling, I guess, but it included a red sauce base to it. And I did all the vegetables, and I added in the tomatoes, and I tasted it for seasoning, and it was just not there. So then I added some umami seasoning and let it cook down a little bit more. Still not there. Then I added some balsamic vinegar. And I just couldn't get this to taste like like a good vegetable base. Then I scooped a little bit from the meat sauce and I scooped a little bit from the vegetable sauce. And that was really good. So I pureed the entire pot of vegetables and I dumped it into the turkey. (laughs) And I made two enormous... Lasagnas, And I have to say, I think that helped the whole thing because there was so much liquid from Mm. all the vegetable one, and it just permeated the layers of the lasagna. And I think that were it not so much work, I would do this again in the future. But man, it was kind of a lot of work. Lasagnas are just... They are. But it worked out for this family gathering. In all, it was a success. And then my only other story... Was key lime pie. Ah. I totally love the enriched graham cracker crust from Milk, the Milk Cookbook by Mm -hmm. Christina Tosi. It's a lot. It's graham crackers, a little bit of sugar, a pinch of salt, melted butter, and then heavy cream. Wow. And milk powder, because she puts milk powder in all kinds of things. It makes for like a really rich
0: interesting
1: just the depth of flavor it really makes the graham sing i think Hmm. and my favorite part about these pies is the graham crust so i went big on the crust and then the key lime recipe is from new york times and i didn't read it ahead of time then as i was getting ready to put it in the oven or cook it like like with the citrus pie bars. They go in the oven for a wee bit. Yeah. They need some time to cook the egg. This one said just put it in the freezer. And I thought, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then I read through the comments and there's a whole debate. Do you cook, freeze, or chill your key lime pie? Which I don't know. I don't know what I do.
0: <laughs> so it had eggs in it and you uh-huh. didn't cook
1: it? Raw egg yolk. And they wanted me to chill it. But Although the, I guess you do citrus, that with ice cream sometimes. Uh huh. And the huh. citrus would cook the. Oh cook in air quotes. okay, like ceviche kind of Right, right. But I just, I didn't feel comfortable with that. And then when I was reading, some very helpful reader wrote in the comments that she put it in the oven for like 10 minutes at 300. And then someone else recommended, you know, 15 minutes at 350. And so I kind of like split the difference. And it came out perfect. Oh, good. And then I did... Just a little whipped topping, a whipped cream with a little bit of sugar, not the full thing like the citrus pi- pie bars since I had gone so big with the crust. And it was beautiful and fresh and mm. super rich. And it made my, my teen very happy to come down at 11.30 last night and to cut a slice of that. So that was a giant success. Oh, I did want to say, I have a new approach to how to do these cookbook reviews.
0: Okay.
1: Now... I'm going through and I'm picking out like, these are the three recipes I'm going to cook. And I just add those ingredients to the, gro- I, I don't know why I didn't think of this before. Add those ingredients to the grocery list. Mm-hmm. And then they're just there in the house. And I'm not scrambling to, I don't know. it, I think because it's snack driven, you mm-hmm. know, it's more like, oh, I feel like that. Special guacamole, and I have a red onion, so I can just roll with it. Or what's one of the other ones called for something strange that I don't normally... You know, those umami tomatoes need some fancy, rich soy sauce. And Mm. so, I don't know. I think I'm approaching it like, I'm just going to get these few things and have them in the house. And then when I'm ready, it will be easy to try some of these recipes. Right. That's cool. So... I'm excited to talk about that, though.
0: Yeah, so we probably won't do it next time, but the time after that, I think, is our plan. Although, who knows? We'll see. We're still snacking. So yeah, it's, so there's a lot of recipes in this book. On the nightstand, it has been two weeks of strong female characters having exciting adventures and a couple Shetland mysteries. So we'll start with that. I listened to Shetland series number five and six by Anne Cleaves. Number five is Dead Water body is found in a boat in the harbor. It is a young local man who has been living in London as and working as a reporter, and he's come back to town for a weekend, and now he is dead. So they have to investigate. Number six is Thin Air. This one takes place on the most northern island of the Shetland Islands. There is a group of Londoners, one of whom has married a Shetlander. So they are Back home to do a celebration of their wedding. And one of that group is found dead the morning after. This is,
1: it's a little of a Three Pines problem.
0: It is, yes. Like, and it's even worse, though, because there. Sh- I know. <laughs> and it's worse because there's always two deaths. Every book has at least two deaths. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not big islands. There's not a lot of people there. There's not so, a lot of people. No. So, you so as think. a tourist, Yes, be, be careful. careful sir. It's not always tourists, though. No, no, yeah, I'm the not other saying local, that, but, but you yeah, know, we aren't locals, so. That's true.
1: Um, I really want to go
0: there. Oh, it sounds beautiful. The descriptions are great. I'm still enjoying this new narrator. She's getting a little bit more into character development with the main characters. There's a new character that's been introduced, so I'm interested to see where that is going. But it's still fairly, you could pick it up at any point. You're not really going to miss anything. One of the like the cute younger sergeant has maybe got a girlfriend now. So it's very exciting. I think I only I think maybe there's eight or nine of them. So I don't have very many left. So then I will need another series if anyone has any ideas. so then all of my strong female characters, I'm gonna start with a book that I liked the least, which is not to say that I disliked it. It was just not a cheery book. So if it sounds interesting to you, you also need to be in the right mood to read it. And it is Four Treasures of the Sky by Jenny Tinghui Zhang. It starts off in China in the 1880s and is the story of Dayu, who is growing up there along the coast, and then she is kidnapped and taken to America. And things just continue to go downhill from there. And they never really get happy. So it is very interesting as a historical fiction based in several real events and what was happening In China, in San Francisco, in Idaho, the American West, and the Chinese Exclusion Act. It's not a good time to be Chinese in the American West. And that is really the focus of the book. So very interesting, but not happy. And then Department of Rare Books and Special Collections by Ava Jersky. I just like the title. I know. That was kind of why I picked it up. It is a mystery featuring a librarian. And so I thought it was going to be a romp, and it was not. It was much more serious, and once I wrapped my head around that fact, I enjoyed it much more. Lisa Levice is the assistant curator at the Department of Rare Books and Special Collections in, I want to say, university in Montreal, somewhere in Canada. And her boss has had a stroke, so she is now in charge. And there was an ancient manuscript that they had just purchased and was supposed to be in his office, and when she unlocks the safe, it's gone. So, they're trying to figure out what happened to it. There was a lot of donor money that went into buying it, and no one seems particularly interested in figuring out what has happened. They keep telling her, oh, it's just gotten misfiled. She says that doesn't make sense. So, a lot of it is just the mystery of what happened to this manuscript, but a lot of it is the personal things happening to Liesl and her coworkers, their issues in her marriage with her daughter with her coworkers. Her boss has been the director of the department for years and years and years. He has kind of created the department. So stepping into these shoes, everyone is expecting her to just do the same thing. And that's not who she is, but she also has, she's also currently just the interim director. So making changes feels weird, but you know, you also can't just keep doing things because that's the way they've always been done, especially if, Things are going missing. So it was it was a really it was really good. Lots of beautiful stuff about books and manuscripts and libraries and and what the purpose of libraries is. And you know, as a as a librarian and a book person, that was just right up my alley. Um, so it's Department of Rare Books and Special Collections. And then another library-related, well, sort of library-related one, The Memory Librarian and other stories of Dirty Computer by Janelle Monet. Yes, that one. Fun. Yeah, so this is I think her first book, although obviously she's done many other forms of, of art. So this is a collection of stories and each one is written by her and another author. I don't think I recognize any of the other names. they're they're more up and coming. it's all kind of sci-fi fantasy ones. and they all exist in the same world where the government is controlling people by memories. If they disagree with your lifestyle or your opinions, then they can wipe your memory. And then you don't remember that you thought those things anymore. Obviously, there would be some issues with that. So each story focuses on a different person in this world. So the first one is the memory librarian, someone who runs, I guess they somehow collect all the memories and And monitor them. Um, So she's one. She's a government person, but she has some issues of her own. The next one is a rebel living off the grid. Um, So they're all a little bit different within the same basic world framework. And they were all quite good. The first one, it was it was tricky figuring out what the rules of the world were. But once you had that figured out, it worked pretty well. And then the final one is actually really hopeful. So that was a nice way to end the collection. And they definitely are a little different stylistically. So they are all connected, but it doesn't tell one complete story. Um, It sounds like a cool collection. Yeah, it is. And I guess she has an album that focuses on the same ideas as well, which I have not tracked down yet, but I keep meaning to. She is an artist of, of many genres. And then Siren Queen by Nivo, who is just really becoming one of my favorite storytellers. She did the retelling of The Great Gatsby with magic, and she's done kind of the traveling Chinese monk fable, little short stories. But this one takes place in LA in the thirties. Luli Wei is growing up there. Her father is from China and her mother's, mother's parents were from China, but she is obsessed with movies. And in this world, movies are literally magic. So they are run by otherworldly creatures. And Luli accidentally gets a bit part as an extra in a scene and keeps doing it. And then finally works her way into a contract with a major studio. And it goes on from there. So it's it's basically her telling her story. But there's a lot of magic and power and kind of deals with the devil, like the studio heads, Take power from people, and so it's very—it's weird but interesting. And kind of how she comes out of all of it, in which you can tell that she's going to clearly telling this from the other side. It's like her memoir is very interesting, and and just the the creativity and her her storytelling ability is just—I really enjoy it. It was super fun and kind of creepy and different. So that's the Siren Queen, by Nevo. And then by the book by Jasmine Guillory, which you know I'm going to love. So this is the second in the Disney princess retelling series. I talked about the Cinderella one last time. Jasmine picked The Beauty and the Beast. So Isabel is a 20-something New Yorker, works in the publishing industry. She's starting to get kind of disenchanted with it. She and her boss are at a conference in L.A., and they have this super difficult client. He was a child star, teen heart throb, and now has a bad boy reputation. And he's supposed to be writing his memoir for their publishing house. But he, they haven't heard from him in a year. And he just won't answer emails. Lives in Santa Barbara. So Isabel says, hey, as long as we're here, why don't I drive up? See if maybe talking to him in person, I can help him out. Boss says, sure. So she drives up there. Obviously, there are plenty of shenanigans. And it's just a lovely, fun story. I think one of the main things about this series is that it's much more mellow than a traditional romance book, both in terms of spiciness level and the problems that the characters face. They definitely, there are issues in this one, both Isabel and, and Bo, that's the, her love interest, face racism. And it's, it's there, but it's not dwelt upon or extreme in any way. It's definitely a factor, but not not really a plot point, I guess. And there's a lot of kissing, but the rest of it is all closed door. So kind of a nice entry level romance novel, maybe, but very sweet. Jasmine is just a great writer. I love the ways that she weaves in the things from Beauty and the Beast. So like the talking furniture, (laughs) and how the house is magic. I mean, obviously, it's not because they're just in Santa Barbara. But The way she makes it a part of the story is really cute. So super fun. Nice beach read. Very sweet. Fun. Yeah. And then my final one, which was my favorite, This Time Tomorrow by Emma Straub. Sliding doors, time travel, time after time. All my favorite tropes are in there. It was great. Alice is turning 40 and she's really happy with her life. It's not exactly the life that she thought she would have, but it's still really good although her father is very ill and in the hospital. But she's at her 40th birthday. Things happen, and she wakes up the next morning, and she is 16 again. She's in her bed at home. Oh my gosh, her father is doing great. Her best friend is there. It's fantastic. She doesn't know how long she has. She's trying to figure out the time travel thing. There were some big events that happened on her 16th birthday that she didn't really think affected her life that much, but maybe they did. It goes on from there. And I don't want to say... Too much about the way the book goes because it would be a spoiler. And I think part of what she does with the time travel part of it is part of the enjoyment. It's really beautiful in terms of her relationships. The relationship between Alice and her father is fantastic. And a lot of it is just her dealing with his impending death. You know, she's back when she's 16 and he's, you know, young and vibrant and. So, but she still has her 40, you know, a lot of her mind is her 40 year old mind. And so she knows what's happening and she doesn't know how much she can change. But just their relationship is really great. And then her relationship with her best friend. It was a lot of beautiful writing. It's drama, but it's not difficult drama. It's real drama, not manufactured or... Yeah, and not super intense. It's yeah. it's like, it's nice drama with a little bit of time travel and, and fun stuff. And then she's also in New York City, so that's super fun. So that one, I just, I love that one. I highly recommend it. And that is This Time Tomorrow by Emma Straub. Ta-da! That is a stack. I know. It's it good. Really good stuff. Very Great. exciting. I have three, well, really
1: two, because one of them is Raven Black by Anne Cleves, which Monica recommended. And because I'm eager to get to, I think, book three, which is all about the birds, or maybe four, I I started at the beginning because I kind of like to know the rhythm of it. Monica talked about this, I think, maybe two podcasts ago. This is the Shetland Community Mysteries. They're trying to unravel the mystery of two dead girls it has a lot of unexpected twists and turns and one very admirable level-headed detective and several likely suspects and i really liked it i liked oh, good. i loved the atmosphere of the scene of the the setting of where we were and i liked that the mysteries surprised me so th- this is one i will definitely dive into the next one Then I read, so remember last week I had picked up a Hannah Rothschild because I liked the cover and I had, for some reason, grabbed the one right next to it, which also is a Hannah Rothschild. This one was awesome. Oh, good. Yeah, you had heard that it was better. It truly exceeded expectations. It's called The Improbability of Love. And it is all about a missing sev- 17th century painting. Ooh. This is Antoine Watteau painting has been in the hands of nobility and royalty and has this incredible lineage until World War II when it goes missing, like a lot of really incredible art went missing. So there's a mystery there to where, where it was for those subsequent years. And then it turns up in a thrift shop or like a pawn shop in London. Our main character, Anne, buys it for like 75 bucks, which she can barely afford. And she takes it home and boy, does it gallop after that part. Anne is is a chef. And so she... She's building meals around, you know, how she would like the food to be presented. And when she's sort of brought into the fold of this art world, she's creating these meals that mirror the artwork. And I loved this so much. You know, she's trying to to recreate meals that would feel like the painting and be it super rich food or many courses. And she's just having fun with it. That part is delightful. There is a searing mystery going on in the back of all of this, which has to do with the lineage of the painting. I think this book has so much to offer, and I don't want to spoil a single thing for anyone. It's really well written. It has got so many wonderfully connected parts and pieces, and I really recommend it. Enjoyed it to the very last page. It was really good. Cool. And then I read... The Tenth Muse by Catherine Chung. And I have no idea how this landed on my book list because it's a book about mathematicians. And I am somewhat math phobic. And this is hardcore math. I mean, they're talking about like unsolvable problems and theorems Mm. and proofs. And this is a language that I am not at home with. I mean, but you're a sewist, and you knit. There's math there. There is math there, but it is intuitive and in my brain, and it I don't think of it as mm-hmm. math. And there is that a part... not make it not math. No, for sure. But I think what the, the mathematician's capital M, this is a very male-dominated chauvinistic industry, especially in the well, in the before times, and particularly for our main character. So... What the the trajectory of this book is that our main character, Catherine, grows up with a father who was a war veteran in World War II, and her mother is of Asian origin, and that is what she believes. Everything gets turned around. Her whole existence comes into question because So many pieces of what she thought she was, she isn't. It feels like solving a gigantic math problem. As you're listening to her, try to trace her lineage, try to become a mathematician in this field that is very male-dominated, and try to be who she is when everyone else looks different. It's a beautiful book. It has some hard parts, not in terms of content, but just you're so rooting for her. And it feels like she's really let down by the system in so many ways. The math stuff, it's easy for me to skim over that a little bit. I don't know if any of it is real Like, I don't know if these are real problems that mathematicians have been trying to solve. So I can't speak to that side of it at all. It all sounds like math to me. (laughs) But hopefully other people will get more enjoyment out of that side of it. It didn't detract for me, but it also went over my head. Mm. But the people in it are really, really well-conceived characters. There's a lot of depth in all of these characters. And I think that that alone makes it worthwhile. So that was The Tenth Muse by Katherine Chung.
0: Nice. Yeah. Uh, bingo. Our summer bingo started Friday, May 27th, and will end Monday, September 5th. To enter for prizes, you need to post a photo of your bingo card with a completed line, row, or column with the hashtag CCRR Summer Bingo 2022 to Instagram or a post on Ravelry in which case you don't need the hashtag because there is a thread for it and you can just post it there. This year we'll be having two additional chatter prizes because we have a prize donation of three patterns from the Downseller Studio and a link to her website will be in the show notes so you can go check out the patterns and her blog and her her podcast, which is delightful and one of those ones that I listen to as soon as it comes out. So make sure to post all sorts of things. And if you get a blackout and you post that, you get a bonus entry for the grand prize. So how'd you do for bingo this week, this stretch? I did okay. I had a bunch of sort of repeats and things that could be multiple items. So that was kind of exciting. My my rainbow sweater starts as a new project, or counts as a new project. Four Treasures of the Sky takes place partially in San Francisco. So it is a, a local read. It is also a debut novel, although I have done that one already. And uh, the author is Chinese, although I, I think she lives here now. But anyway, person of color. And then Jasmine Guillory also is a local author, so I could double up on that, and she is a person of color as well. So not too bad, and I have some plans. I mean, I guess I've done a lot of snacks, but we haven't talked about that yet, so. Yeah, I'm saving that one too.
1: Yeah. Or the focus on fun appetizers.
0: Yeah, I feel like I am repeating several of them, and I need to, to focus on the ones that I am not finding as easy to, to make happen. I went through
1: the Modern Mrs. Darcy book list Mm -hmm. and fleshed out my library borrowing to Mm -hmm. kind of help with the reading portion of Bingo.
0: Yeah, I was going to read The Brothers Karamazov, and I I got it. It's 1,700 pages. Yeah, it's a brick. That's a very large book. (laughs) I'm not sure if I can get through that. All of the Russians. Yeah, unfortunately. There's a couple of short ones, but yeah.
1: But this week, I... Read something that you recommended with the Raven Black. Oh, yeah. Nice. And I went out to Case for Making, which is a local, a make local square, and bought some San Francisco made paint and and more of the 10 by 10 inch grid paper, a watercolor grid. And I taught my kids, I taught one kid how to make Rice Krispie Treats and the other kid how to make chocolate mousse pie.
0: Those are good things to teach people. Well, my
1: older son wants to become the cookie baker of his dorm. And I don't know how we're going to achieve that. But he has, you know, he has grand plans for baking at college. I mean, it's an idea. It is. Yes.
0: But you could do Rice Krispie Treats, like in the microwave. You can. Yeah. That's what I did in college. I told him that, but he wasn't. He was skeptical.
1: I feel like David Chang overlooked that in his How to
0: Microwave. That is true. (laughs) He did miss that out. Jasmine Guillory also has a lot of recipes and food in her books. Oh. So if you are looking for cooking from a story, that could be a good one. Any of her books. And then it would also be a recommendation for me. If somebody needs something and you like a romance... Excellent. Lots of good food in there. And we've been having quite the conversation over on our Ravelry thread. Lao tokel cooked three things from a new cookbook, which was a five ingredient recipe cookbook. So that was exciting. And then she also made these buttons, Kogan buttons, Kogen buttons. I had not heard of this. I need to look into it. But they were beautiful. And that was her new medium or technique. And then she added it to a project bag. And it was gorgeous. If you can get on Ravelry, get over there and check it out because it was super beautiful. And I was very, very impressed. And then Knitwise09 posted on Ravelry a picture of the Minecraft birthday cake she made for her son as her epic dessert, which was adorable and totally took me back to when I made fancy pants cakes for my kids' birthdays, which was so fun.
1: Yeah, I kind of missed that a little bit. But now they want chocolate mousse pie and Rice Krispie treats that they can make themselves, which is also kind of
0: fun. (laughs) Yeah. Knitwise09 also posted on Instagram a finished work and project, which was this knit mother hen, a stuffed hen. It was adorable. It was wearing a cardigan and a little knit hat, and there's a little baby chick in the pocket. The cuteness overload on that one. It is so great. It was just amazing. So thank you so much, both of you, for posting photos. It has been Wonderful to see, and I
1: love that she included a selfie with that little yeah. hen because it's good to put a face to, a not a name, an Instagram handle.
0: Yep, very fun. So yeah, so I don't, I don't have a bingo yet. Oh no, I'm yeah, I'm a mile away, but we will get there. It is plenty of summer left, I think. But yeah, we have been chatting for a while. So until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or corpysf. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-I-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.